another episode of the Real Talk Podcast. Thank you always for listening to our loyal subscribers, loyal listeners, loyal streamers. Today, I'm here with James Nelson, just one of the best guys in New York City, the top guy. He's currently serving over, actually, he sold over $6 billion. I just did a rough internet math here, but over $6 billion in sales. James currently serves as, as a principal and head of Avison Young's Tri-State Investment Sales Group, where he leads a group of three dozen professionals in the sale of multifamily, office development, and retail properties throughout the country. He's represented Breaking Ground, Brookfield, Carlisle Group, J.P. Morgan Chase, Related, Salvation Army, 60 Guilders, just to name a few. Throughout his 20-year career, James has been involved in the sale of approximately 500 properties and loan sales for an aggregate value of over $5 billion. Prior to joining Evanston Young, James served as vice chairman of Cushman Wakefield. And prior to that, he was the youngest partner and top producer for Massey Knackle for six of their last eight years. For those of you looking for opportunities in New York or outside of New York, Avison Young has 120 offices around the world. You can visit his profile on Instagram at jamesnelsonnyc. That's again, at jamesnelsonnyc. And look for the link in his bio. Or you can also find him on his new website, jamesnelson.com. James, welcome. Thank you so much for having me talk. It's great to see you. And Thank you. I, I appreciate the warm intro, but my biggest claim to fame is just being uh, your, your friend. So <laughs> it's really great to watch all the incredible things you're doing and just... It's fun to be back here doing this live. It's been a long time since we've had the chance to you know, meet up yeah, in person. Yeah, so looking it, forward to it. Yeah, it's been a while. The last time I saw you was when uh, Compass was still very relatively small compared to where we were uh, and where we, are, where we are today. I think it was the Revenue Luncheon after you visited our office. The Revenue Luncheon was, who was it? There was uh, two brokers that were talking, some commercial, it was like commercial luncheon and uh, this was a time when Rob Refkin, our CEO, still had the time to network and ha- shake hands at a revenue right. event. Yeah. So, you know, time's well, been really exciting to see you all grow. Time's definitely fly. Well, you know, I, I want to reintroduce you to our listeners. A lot of people know you, but since you're a lot of our listeners are on the residential side, I want to kind of go over a couple warm up questions with you. Great. Now, let's do it. All right. So, uh, please answer in one word, just one word only. Uh, the COVID era retail and office leasing market. Uh, one word. Oh, jeez. Now, now you, now you got me. Uh, well, I, I would have to split retail and office. Maybe I give it a word or two for it. Give me a word or two. So, uh, I would say for retail, uh, fighting is in fighting its way back. For office, I would say flight as in flight to quality. Flight. That's uh, that's interesting. So you're saying, you know, buildings like 425 Park or some of these Class A buildings. That's right. Uh, SL Green or Newmark, the, the those buildings. One Vanderbilt. One yes. Vanderbilt. Yes. There you go. Yes, yes, that's right. Right next to Grand Central. Those are filled up, leased up. They are. Yeah, they're they're doing incredibly well. And again, tenants are taking advantage of this market to trade up in space. Uh-huh. And again, there's not a ton of leasing activity going on out there right now. But yeah, this the activity that is happening are at some of these top buildings here in, in the The word city. is flight. flight. To quality. To quality. <laughs> Not yeah. as in Three flight words. to Florida. Flight to <laughs> Not leaving. Right. Three words. Uh, right. right. One word. This COVID era commercial sales market. Rebounding. Great. That's good to know. It's good to hear. Social media. Essential. It, you, you are uh, definitely one of the most uh, consistent uh, marketers on Instagram. Oh, thank you. 
and your IGTV. I've got a great team. Again, uh, plugging at James Nelson NYC. Residential brokers. I'm going to say essential again. <laughs> we are not essential workers, <laughs> yeah. but it is essential you should be. part of New York City. No, you're, you're, you're bringing the city back, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, one more. De Blasio. Um, I, might, I might need a couple more words on this as well. Uh, sure, can't great. leave soon enough. Oh, wait, that's okay. four. <laughs> so, sorry. You know, the, that wasn't controversial, was it? <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. Yes. I wouldn't think so. I think most of the people in the industry and also most New Yorkers agree. Yes. Uh, I mean, the, you know, the, the change, change is always difficult. Do you think this transition will be difficult? You mean the next administration? Right. Are we talking current, uh, the, the, the pr presumptive right. mayor? Yes, mm -hmm. uh, Eric Adams. Uh, no, I, I, I think that uh, New Yorkers are going to welcome him with open arms, as is the real estate community. I think everyone is really, um, I mean, we should all be united in bringing New York back to be the, the number one city in the world that it's always been. Good, so good. Okay, good. I like the, uh, the optimistic outlook. Uh, a couple warm-up questions. Uh, where were you born? And where are you from? So Burlington, Vermont, but I was only there for a year. Yeah, and right. then I was in Wisconsin for 10 years, okay. Maryland, and then New York. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Where did you go to college? Colgate. Colgate. Okay. And were you a college athlete? Yes. Division one swimmer. All right. Yeah. So, um, the, just the, the whole athletic competitive mentality, I suppose, translates into this competitive commercial world that you're in. Well, I, I think I have, well, Colgate to thank, but also uh, <laughs> yeah. my, my, my sports background because Paul Massey, who was the founder mm -hmm. of um, Massey Nackle, the, the first company I worked for, he specifically, the company looked for athletes mm -hmm. to hire mm -hmm. because and the not feeling just club was. Athletes. Uh, well, no, look, anyone who is dedicated, who, you know, maybe not, uh, you know, someone who, who plays p pickleball today or, uh, yeah. Um, but no, the, the college athletes uh, know about discipline, yeah. but also about tenacity. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, that's a big part of brokerage. I mean, sure. there's a lot of rejection we get, and All you know time. that focus and that hard work piece to it is is really key. And so, um, you know, to this day, I, I still I've got a lot of team members right now who are uh, college uh, athletes as well. well. We'll get to more on that a little later. Good. Uh, go to NYC restaurant. So I've got to admit, I'm not too adventurous because we're, we're up on Fifth and Forty Fourth Street. So I, I'm like, you know, as long as it's within two or three blocks. So uh, you know, what what whatever's you know whatever's close Zuma, to there. Fifth and Forty Fourth. That's close. even Madison Avenue. That, yeah, that takes yeah, me an extra block or two. I'll travel. You know, if it's lunch with you, you you pick the place. I'll <laughs> I'll, right. I'll I'll, I'll come right. downtown. All right. Um, the go uh, your favorite New York City neighborhood. Hmm. You know, I like the South Street Seaport. Oh, I don't know. I just yeah. No, it's it's. I a, did not expect that. Yeah. No. I mean, if we're talking about just uh, new neighborhoods, places to hang out. We we actually bought a place there years okay. back, and I just you know I, I love that it's near the water and you know the cobblestone streets. Yeah. And it's kind of a, a throwback. Yeah. In Street, Stone Street, some beautiful blocks over there. Yeah. Down there, especially. And then uh, obviously there's the new restaurant that opened up in there. The, during COVID, there was that Greenfield by right north of the Seaport. Uh, where they had the uh, the restaurant and the drinking and the live music, so that yeah, definitely is is an interesting part of Manhattan for sure. Uh, favorite city outside of New York City and why? 
So my older sons play water polo, and okay. so we travel out to the West Coast a lot. And I just I love California. I just love going out there. Is so water we, polo, we, California is that a it's West a big sport, sport out in California. So yeah. if you want competition, oh, you that. have to go out there. So I was in San Diego, um, L.A. Yeah. You know, over the last month or two, and I just I love the balance where. You know, you've got the city, but you get you have the beach right sure. there. I yeah. think it's really cool. The weather is awesome year round. What do you go Venice? Uh, uh, just Monica. like wherever, yeah, New- Newport Beach, Hermosa, Newport like beach. where you know Laguna, like yeah. where wherever you know wh- wherever the tournaments take us. But it's uh, it's a lot of fun to go out there. Yeah, and uh, yeah, water uh, water polo. That's great. I, yes, I would I would assume that probably must be one of the hardest sports to play in all sports. Uh, as far as uh, role models in the industry. Do you have any who and why? Sure. So, I mean, I, I still, I'm, I'm so grateful to Paul Massey and Bob Knackle. Sure. Uh, you know, I started my career at Massey Knackle 23 years ago, and they gave me a chance. And, you know, to their credit, I think they really revolutionized the, the business and the approach. And, uh, yeah, gave me the opportunity to start out. And I, you know, even though we, we've all kind of, uh, you know, Paul started up his own firm and Bob's at, at JLL, but we, we all stay in close touch. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of my skills today, you know, leadership qualities, I mean, these are all things that I'm just, you know, trying to mirror from, from those early days. That's great. We're going to get to more on that a little later as well. Mm-hmm. I have some questions about that. Uh, and last and, uh, last and final uh, warm-up question here. Does commercial real estate need reality television? I don't know if it'd be as exciting. I don't know. You guys look like you're always having so much fun. You know, it's like all these like there's a lot of drama and like you know, and you're 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 cutting the deals over lunch. Like that doesn't really happen for us. You know, we're we're like very transactional. We're just you know we're hammering it out on the phone. I mean, maybe. I mean, we've got some pretty interesting stories. I mean, the, the thing sure is, so so much of what we do is is confidential, and it's it's it can be. You know, I, I can't see my clients wanting to get, you know, on camera. I don't know. It's very tough. But, I mean, th- there are certainly some characters and some pretty wild stories that we encounter. So, uh, I don't know. Look, I'd, I'd be game. I mean, I, I don't know. Somebody I mean, if, asked if, if you. Bravo comes knocking, exactly. comes, uh, comes you know what? You. Um, you know, talk to my agent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you, you can be. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be your agent. All right, good, good, yeah. good. But you wouldn't say no if a TV show approached you and said, hey, you Look, know, I, 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 I've noticed you're doing a lot of videos. You know, and- I, I appreciate your mentioning jamesnelson.com because this is something that's it's kind of a soft launch. You're going to be hearing a lot more about it in the fall. But uh, I'm very passionate not only about brokerage, but also teaching people how to invest. So if you mm-hmm. go to uh, jamesnelson.com, you know, the, 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 it says, yes, it, it's you know, gain the insider's edge to real estate investing. And I think e- even though real estate is the biggest investment class in the U.S., mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. bigger than stocks, yeah. right? There's all these shows about how to invest in the stock market. There's so little on how to invest in real estate. Right. You know, there's a lot of fix it and flip it and how to get rich Property quick and poor and dad, yeah. rich dad, poor dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, how to invest in real estate, there's really no sources. And so, you know, I get asked, you know, James, how do I learn about the business? Like, what's the book? Where do I go? Right. Now, you could go to Columbia for a year, you take classes at NYU. That's a great thing to do. But if you're, curious about the business and you want to learn, there's very few resources. So, you know, that is why I launched jamesnelson.com is to have that resource hub. That's why I do the podcast is really to educate. So uh, 
I think there's a need. I don't know if it'd be glamorous enough, exciting enough, but um, you know, I think there's a, a, a lot of people out there, and I'm sure you know a lot of your clients who say, look, I own my apartment. Um, I'm interested about investing in real estate, taking it to the next level. You know, how do I learn to do that? So um, again, I, I would certainly be open to that. Right. I, it's, you're totally right. You know, the, what's out there right now are a lot of the get-rich-quick you know, this, this is how you uh, s- maybe get a loan and then and then flip it on Airbnb right. and then sell it. it. It's not enough of the day-to-day nitty-gritty operational type steps that are needed to actually be involved in real estate. So um, that's great. Uh, again, you guys visit the website and check out the uh, – log yourself in on the investor profile, right? Is, is that what you yeah, put so, in your name so they, Yeah, they can go on the investor profile. That will actually get you hooked into Avis and Young so mm-hmm. we can actually send you listing opportunities. But if you sign up on the mailing list, oh, get you're you going to get data. a video series, which is step-by-step – how to invest in commercial real estate. And I feel like, and hopefully, and I, I'd love for you, you know, your team to, to, to check it out. And, you sure, know, definitely. after you watch, it should, uh, it's not going to clearly teach you everything you need to know, but it should give you enough of a start to say, okay, I know where to start mm-hmm. and I know what to do. All right, we'll put the link in the show notes for, All right, the, good. for our Thank listeners you. as well. Uh, let's, let's pivot a little bit. Let's go into your history a little bit. You're, you know, when I first s- found out about you and I've, I've always I read the real deal so you're always on there but when I first saw you and actually put a name to a face was at one of the multi-family was uh, one of the, it was a Massey Naco multi-family summits at the McGraw Hill building probably around nine eight or nine or mm-hmm. almost maybe ten years ago mm-hmm. and uh, Bob spoke maybe the first year I went Bob spoke and my gosh he was probably the most articulate uh, smart, savvy, smooth, just well-spoken uh, moderator and speaker that, 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 that any of the other candidates that were there that day, you know, I think Bob was probably at the top as far as uh, engagement from the audience. He was very good. And then I seen you talk, and you were talking in front of, I don't know, maybe 500 people there. Um, and you were just as eloquent, just as precise, just as articulate, uh, and and the crowd obviously had a great engagement with you. So, you know, a lot of respect from you from those times. Uh, you know, fast forward to today. You're no longer at Massey. You were partnered there. You guys were purchased by Cushman Wakefield. Then only after two or three years, right, you, you mm-hmm. went off on your own to become partner at Avis & Young. So w- what happened there? I mean, what was the transition like? Why did you decide to, first of all, I guess, join Cushman? Maybe you didn't have a choice I'm not sure you need to talk about that. And then why did you leave Cushman after two or three years? What did, what did you sure. see there? So, uh, yes, I was at Massey Knackle for 17 years. Mm-hmm. Bob and Paul were, uh, like I said, they, they remain you know, uh, mentors to me in the business. And um, I was very grateful. They made me a partner in the business. When I started, we had 20 people there. By the time we sold it, we had 250 people across four offices. We were selling three to four times the amount of properties um, as the next brokerage yeah. firm. So we yeah. were, we, we really, uh, focused in on this, this niche and we, we really took the company as far as we could. I mean, you, you know, and just watching, you know, Compass's growth, what it takes to go, you know, national, global. 100%. I mean, it takes a lot of, a lot of resources and we were ready. You know, we said, look, if this works in New York, it's got to work in other markets. So, we actually were out in the market looking for a 49% partner. We were looking for someone who could help fuel our growth and take us national. And Cushman came along and said, look, we want the whole thing, right? We're, yeah. And at the time, you know, Cushman, one of the oldest, most respected brands 
in commercial real estate, uh, they had basically a hole when it came to investment sales. They were very uh, uh, experienced, adept at office leasing, project management, finance, but they really needed the sales arm. So they acquired us, and it was great. I mean, it was literally the most seamless um, situation. And, and yes, I was fully on board for the sale. Yep. You know, it wasn't just Massey Nackle, it was the partners. Everyone stayed, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. that, was, that was part of the arrangement. Right. And it was seamless. It was literally next day, here's your business card, keep doing what you're doing. We even stayed at the same office. Wow. Right? So okay. um, it was great. And, and I think, um, you know, I always look at these things also, you know, what's best for the client, right? Sure. And so by now, clients were starting to look outside New York uh, and to have, to be global, to be full service, very helpful. We yep. had some great years at Cushman, very successful years. I have nothing but great things to say about right. it. So um, what happened was after Cushman acquired us, Cushman was then acquired by private equity and they just started growing and growing and growing. Uh -huh. And when we uh, sold the company, Cushman had 24,000 people. By the right. time they sold it, they had 48,000 people. They had acquired other brokerage teams and firms. All of a sudden it got very crowded sure. in, in New York. And look, I get it. You know, they're looking to cover every, you know, square inch of the city. Um, but this opportunity came along uh, to join Avis and Young, who also was established in New York, but uh, really an up and comer. Avis and Young is a Canadian company, uh, has only been in the, the U.S. now for about 13, 14 years. Mm -hmm. um, and they did, they did not have a sales presence. Uh, they had a couple uh, principals there who were doing very uh, complicated transactions. They're still, you know, with our team today. They said, James, you know, we really need someone to build out our investment sales platform. So to me, uh, Avis and Young is really the best of both worlds in that I'm one of 750 owners of oh, the wow. company. So, yeah. you know, it's like Massey Knackle in that I have a seat at the table. I was with our CEO yesterday. Okay. You know, if I have an idea, it's great. James, go figure it out. And then if it works, you know, let's roll it out to the rest of our offices. Mm -hmm. So I really, I like having that personal involvement. But for our clients, it's great because we're also global and we're full service and, and we're not even, you know, we're a fraction the size as Cushman, but we've yeah. got coverage in the right markets. If one of our investors wants to go, you know, buy down in Miami, they want to go buy in LA, they're going to find someone like myself who probably has 20, 25 years experience at one of the big shops out there. So it's been incredible. Um, we've had a lot of fun. You know, we were really on a tear uh, until, unfortunately, last year when I, I don't have to tell you. Uh, but we, we have really been uh, working hard uh, to come out of this stronger. Okay, good. It, so you guys are international. What other countries are you guys in? So shortly after I joined, we bought GVA in Europe. Mm -hmm. And that uh, expanded our company by 28 uh, offices. Okay. Uh, but we're now pretty much on every continent. Oh. Uh, so yes, we, we have been growing. We've got 120 offices around the world. And, um, you know, again, every time we open these offices, we bring on more principals and it's just, it's a different conversation when you reach out to, um, a fellow owner of the company, you know, now it's not just a transactional, like, Hey, let's do a deal together. It's, sure. Hey, you know, how can I make you look good, mm -hmm. you know, for the benefit of your client? Because if we, if we do well, we all do well, do well for the yeah. company. Sure. So it's it's sure. been really exciting. Okay. And, uh, you know, once we open up the borders uh, again, I can't, you know, we, we do our annual group meetings and oh, get yeah, everyone together be, and be great. a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 Once business travel comes back. Yes. In the right, near future. You know, we, we, we talked, we brushed up on, um, you know, Bob who went to JLL, JLL and Paul who's, who's, who founded his own firm, his own yes, firm. B6, did, yes. did you not have 
let's just say, sort of a, an attraction to going with one of those guys? or Was well, it your mentor? Actually, so. I, I was the first to leave. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so okay. I was kind of a, I guess, oh, right. a trailblazer in, in that regard. But okay. yes, no, I had already kind of set, set my path. And, uh, you know, I, I think we all ended up, and, and by the way, there was partners who stayed at Cushman, and sure. they're still doing incredibly well. Uh-huh. And it's all worked out. I think everyone, you know, found their home and the right setup for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and like I said, we remain very close. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, big props to those guys for still paving the way. And and Paul starting something new after you know something brand new after thirty years in the business. He loves it. That's you what know? he does. He <laughs> yeah. loves building. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. Uh, let's let's switch topics. You know, let's we talked about COVID. Um, I know. Just as an industry in New York, we were hit probably the worst out of all of our cities. Uh, I'm not sure about commercial, but our friends in residential in the Hamptons or Aspen, Colorado, or we talked about Newport Beach or Dallas, they're having the career years. I mean, they're having literally the best uh, years of their entire career as far as movement, transactions, uh, dollar volume, deal volume. I mean, everything is up. But New York City is kind of its tail on its own. You know, what, give me what your mindset was last year, March and April. Well, I mean, when this hit, I I was really deer in headlights because, you know, usually I like to have the answer for things. And it was really, it was a really scary time. And we didn't know how long this was going to go on for and what this was going to look like. Uh, And and obviously not being physically in an office to to try to figure it all out. I mean, it was, it was really challenging. And, you know, in our business, uh, when there's uncertainty, uh, what happens is people just wait on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Sellers don't want to sell because they say, well, hey, you know, I, I don't want to sell into this. I'd rather try to wait, right? Yeah. You, know, yeah. the, you know, kick the can down go. the road. Yeah, and buyers, unless if it's a, a steal, they don't want to jump in because they, they don't want to catch the falling knife, right? They right. don't want to, you know, ride it on the way down. So First, first one in the woods and find an arrow right, on so, their back. Yeah. Right. So there was very few transactions last year. Uh, it felt a lot like 2009 in sure. the depths of the mm-hmm. financial crisis mm-hmm. where the transactions that we were doing were for estates, partnership disputes, and distress. I mean, where Those you, who had to transact. It had to, right. Uh, right. The, unlike the financial crisis, though, it's not like buildings were going to default in March and April, right? I mean, it was just so sudden. It took time. Yeah. yeah. It, it um, And even today, I mean, a lot of the lenders uh, worked with their borrowers because it, it wasn't like the borrowers were doing anything wrong. And if the lenders would take back the properties, what are they going to do differently? It's right? Similar, I yeah, mean, it'd be worse. So oh, yeah. uh, a lot of them have given forbearance and that has kind of prolonged it. But in the, in the meantime, and, and, you know, uh, I don't have to, to tell you. I mean, you're, you're seeing it right now. The rebound in residential has been unbelievable. Yeah. And so that recovery, you know, again, will, will, will help uh, bring these owners out of it. Um, you yeah. know, re- retail and, and, and office could eventually be another story. But, um, you know, for the, for the most part, it was just kind of pushing things off until this year. And finally, we're, we're seeing that transactions are on their way back up. So y- you were just hanging out at home March and April, just – Kind of like the rest of us, not really doing deals, right? We weren't, we weren't really, we, we weren't even allowed to go into our buildings or where our listings were. So yeah, I mean, talk. Uh, I always say I'm, all, and I'm sure it's the same way as you are. We're always busy. Always, yeah. always busy. Yeah. The question is, are we busy 
talking to our clients, counseling them, sure, or are we sure. busy actually getting contracts signed, right? right? So yeah, last things. year, I was, you know, I was on the phone constantly. Yeah. Everyone wants, everyone's just starved for information. You know, what's know. going on? Are there any trades happening? Yeah. You know, are there opportunities? What's going on? And it was actually, um, you know, we're kind of getting back to this now. I'm feeling a little more normal where, you know, the conversations are a lot quicker and everyone's busy. But, you know, last year, everyone's kind of sitting at home and, you know, you'd have those 20, 30 minute conversations, which used to be just, you know, five, <laughs> five minutes. minutes. And hey, you know, where are you camped out? What's going on with the family? What's going on with school? I mean, and, and you know, if there's any positives to this horrible thing that happened, it's it, you, you got to know people on a deeper level. And uh, yeah, so it, it was really just staying in close contact, trying to be, uh, again, a resource, helpful in, in any way we, we could. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, was was you know certainly at it full time. And and you know we only really shut down the office, uh, you know, for a month or two here and there. I mean, yeah. we, we I mean it was optional clearly. Sure. Uh, but I was going in a couple of days a week and just you know I wanted to keep trying to. Um, Power through this. As brokers, real estate and commercial, if we're not in the offices, that's right. You know, we're probably that's doing right. You, you got to lead by example for sure. Lead by example, we're yes. in the business. Where do you think this? If you were to sell an office building today in today's market, I mean, are the are the prices just down all across? Surprisingly, the world? office prices are up. Okay, but no way. But, yes, I, I yes, I know. Believe. Well, here's the thing. I mean, that's why you always have to look at the numbers. So um, there was only five office buildings that sold in all of uh, Manhattan in the second quarter. So what happens is when there's very few transactions that happen, you know, they're the sales that are, are happening at, you know, a peak level. So, for example, 410 10th Avenue sold. Okay, that was a big trade. It was almost a billion dollars, right? Okay. 4.6 cap. Yeah. That sounds pretty good, right? Yeah. Well, you also had Amazon who just signed a new 20-year lease, okay? Mm-hmm. So was that really an office deal or was that really a deal about Amazon, yeah. right? And there was a couple other sales um, that went to end users. You know, there, there was, there was um, you know, a sale that happened up the street here at, at, uh, up the avenue at 265th Avenue to a foreign buyer. But when you only have a handful of sales, right, it skews the numbers, it right? Does. And I think if a lot of this office n- needed to be forced through the system right now, some of these Class B, Class C buildings, because remember earlier when you were doing the speed round, I was telling you that there's been a flight to quality. quality. Well, what happens to those Class B, C buildings in Garment right. Center sure. where people are trading up that are now 20, 30, 50% vacant? Right. If those had to sell today, are those worth less than they were, you know, before COVID? COVID? Absolutely. Really? And they're probably down 20 to 30%. We're not seeing it in the numbers yet because they haven't traded. But my belief is, unfortunately, with Office, if you look at all the sales, if they all got pushed through, it's going to get worse before it gets better. What do you think is going to get those sellers to, to trade at those levels? Is it going to be desperation because of financing? Or is it going to be family... Uh, estate issues? Will it be? I mean, what do you think it'll? Was it? Will it, will it be just vacancy? I just don't want. I think it'll be. Yeah. No. If if someone owns their building free and clear, right? Unless that they're having challenges covering the real estate taxes, Tax, which yeah. which is a concern Huge. for some of these buildings. For the most part, it's going to be because of the debt, right? Yeah. So if if the lenders have get, have been patient, have given them forbearance, and they've been allowed to wait, 
they're, they're going to hold off, yeah. okay? But what's going to happen is when their loan comes due, most of these loans are five years, okay? Five, okay. So let's say you got a loan coming up later this year, and I go back to my lender, and, and now my building is 30 40% vacant. I say, great, you know, I'd like to refinance. And the lender says, fine, but you need to pay down your mortgage. Yeah. You say, what? Or you need to personally guarantee this mortgage, which a lot of um, uh, investors do not like to do. No. That's going to create the distress because sure. what's going to happen is they're going to say, well, you know, I don't have the money to pay down the mortgage. So well, I mean, what do I – What's the size of these mortgages typically for uh – I don't know, B class, C class building that you're talking Look, about. Look, I mean, some of them are massive, right. you know, tens oh, of true, true, tens yeah. of millions of dollars. Sure. And it's not just these uh, syndicators, operators who came in over the last five years and paid these big prices. I mean, talk, we're talking about long-term owners yeah. who've owned these buildings for decades, decades. right? Yeah, generations, and if yeah. you ask them before COVID, hey, do you have conservative debt on the property? Yeah. My, I only have a you know, 25, 30% loan to value. I just want a little working capital yeah. to do this and that. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden, if your building loses half of its value and the banks are getting very conservative, that's, that's going to create an issue. And most of these owners probably don't have the cash to cover. Correct. Yes. Okay. So th this is, this probably presents a lot of opportunities for you, your, just well, like yeah, you and your, and your, yeah. And your I mean, look, we'll, we'll try to make the best of a, of a bad situation for them and try to get them out um, at a certain level. And, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, what a lot of these owners, what, what they try to do is wait and say, mm -hmm. hey, if we can just get through this, if I can just sign another lease. And then, you know, if they miss their opportunity to refinance and now they're in default and now they're paying penalty interest and then things just get um, – more and more challenging to dig their way out. And I've seen that happen time and time again, mm -hmm. whereas, you know, no one likes losing money on a property, but sometimes it's better, you know, to just rip the Band-Aid off and just get out of it than lose the whole thing. And I've seen that happen many times before. I mean, how, to, for a landlord not to miserably fail like that, I mean, what, where do they have to be mentally? Do they just have to be... What do you call it? They have to be just unemotional. Unemotional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to be dead inside. <laughs> Is that well, you know, you, look, you just have to be analytical. You know, yeah. you have to look rational. At, you have to, that, yeah, you have to look at the, at the numbers and, um, you know, again, you some, something can be better than nothing. As, a, a, as an owner operator of those types of properties, maybe pride gets in the way. Is that their downfall? Is that, I, mean, I, th I think it's just, you know, look, we all want to be optimistic. Sure. We're, you know, as brokers, number one job description is you have to be an optimist, right? We all want to see this market recover. It's yeah. just, you know, it could it could take time. Uh -huh. And so I, I, I don't, you know, there, I don't even think it's ego. I think it's just it's just hope that hey, if I wait a little longer, maybe things are going to recover and I'll be able to get out of this. And and many of them will. Good. Many of them will Hopefully, if they can yeah. work with their lender and say, hey, can you give me a little more time? Um. But again, our, our job is to put options on the, the table, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, and maybe it is a sale, yeah. but maybe it's also helping them refinance, right? Or maybe it's a partial sale. We can help them recapitalize. We can either get really fancy and there's now um, funds out there that will actually buy the land under your property mm -hmm. and then you can keep the building itself Rent as a leasehold. Yeah. Right. And you can pay land lease. Uh, land That's lease right. Rent. Yeah. Which will kill your cap, but it'll, it'll save your building. That's right. right? So what are you going to do? Um, where is the best deals? Like where, where, right now, I mean, people always come to you, right? Right. Hey, James, where's the best deals? Like where, where can I put my money? Where, 
So, I mean, first of all, um, if you're a contrarian investor, I mean, New York on the whole, everyone right now, the safe move is I'm going to go buy multifamily in the Southeast, right? I want to be in a growth market. Uh I want to be in Nashville. I want to be in Austin. And yeah, it's hot. I get it. But it's, it's, you know, it's, it's herd mentality, right? So you talk about what an apartment building sells for in Nashville or Austin. It's a three and a half cap. Uh Here, we've got five and a half, six percent returns in New York, right? But but there's a digit, there's a digit difference in the price. Yeah. Well, I mean, here we've got regulation, right? (laughs) So you got to know the rules and all that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, New York on the whole right now is less competitive, right? Because a lot of these uh, investors are now looking elsewhere. But um, if you want to go, you know, further down to this contrarian mindset, I think high street retail right now has been so beat up, sure. right? That, I mean, first it was e-commerce. Yeah. Now it's COVID. I mean, <laughs> that's both. I mean, look, yeah, we're, we're handling a retail space in the heart of Soho right now on Broadway, uh-huh. right? And at the peak of the market, retail rents on Broadway were a thousand dollars a foot. Okay. So look, that's this that's lease was, dollar, uh, we've got a great a bank year, tenant right? that's in there. And they've got four years left in their lease. And yeah, they're paying over market based on today, sure, right? Sure. But you know, you can get that investment right now for an eight or nine percent return. You say, James, that's crazy. An yeah. eight or nine percent return in Soho? Well, yeah. look, I mean, if you um, try to factor in what rents are today, you'd say, All right, well, I don't really have upside, I have downside. But mm. my point is the question isn't where things rent today. The question is where is it gonna be two, three years from now? And High Street, whether you're talking about you know Soho, Fifth Avenue, Madison Avenue, is heavily dependent on tourism. This year, we'll only have 36 million tourists come to New York because of all the international travel bans. And traditionally, we get double that. Yeah. So it's pretty easy to see that, okay, right now, you don't see tons of shoppers down in Soho or Fifth Avenue. But like once things open back up again, it's going to return. Is it going to be where it was two, three years ago? No, right? But is it going to be 20 cents on the dollar? No. No. So I, I like retail okay. right now. Are there a lot of retail? I mean, are you talking about, and forgive me because we're in residential, we're not really sure about how these work, how this whole system works, but when you say retail, are you talking about just buying the retail portion? So it's, it's already a, a retail condo. So you've sold the apartments so upstairs there's, and there there's are, a retail condo. Typically the developer will hold on to the retail and then sell it, right? Okay. The other way it can happen is a lot of these co-ops, as you know, uh, actually benefit from the income they get on the ground floor. So mm-hmm. your maintenance might be lower because they are getting they income from the ground yeah, floor. Yeah, like the that. problem, though, is some of them are now facing vacant retail, and they're saying, uh-oh, th- this is going to be an issue because now my maintenance is going to double or triple and, you know, so th- there's going to be some pressure there. So but, are there a lot of, to candidly ask, there are a lot of opportunities to buy a retail condo or retail co-op oh, yeah. in, in downtown? Oh, sure. Okay. Sure. All right. Yeah. Well, who knew? Look, and especially vacant ones right now, uh, and, and that's, you know, I, again, there's been so much pessimism when it comes to retail that the, the, the pricing has really, really uh, moved down. in the buyer's favor. Skewed down. Big mm-hmm. time. Okay. Understood. Uh, we're going to, I know you're a busy man, we're going to switch topics here. Uh, the government, we touched on this a little bit earlier. New York has, you know, just rules. They have, there's laws. 
two years ago in the summer, the New York imposed a new rental law uh, legislation that I think in your business, it would affect a lot of your multifamily sales. You know, state yeah, the tenant, rent HSTPA, control. the Housing Stability Tenant Protection That's Act. That's I mean, you got to give them credit. I mean, it was a, a great name. Mm -hmm. and, and, and look, the, the intentions were good, okay? We definitely have an affordability crisis here in New York. There is no doubt that we need more affordable housing. There is no one that, that denies that point. 100%. The question is, how are you going to provide it? Okay. Right. And what they did sounds really good if you're a politician and you want to get reelected to just say, hey, I'm going to just freeze all the rents you know, across all the million rent-stabilized apartments. You just made a million voters really happy. Okay. If you won the housing lottery, you know, if you were lucky enough to have that stabilized apartment or your grand, you know, mother passed on, you know, a beautiful apartment on Central Park South with like five, with five bedrooms, right? Yes. Yeah. So, but the crazy thing, Todd, is there's no means testing. You could be working for one of these big investment banks, making millions of dollars a year, paying $800 a month for your apartment. 100%. It makes no sense, right? And if you talk to any of the uh, housing um, specialists, economists, you know, Yale, they, they've done studies to say the issue is that we do not have enough housing, right? So if you build more housing, that alleviates the housing pressure. There's more options for the fair market. Uh, and then you can certainly, and you need subsidy too, right? And we have this great program, and I, I don't know how technical you, you want me to get on this, this no, interview, because we could do a separate show on it. Yeah, but, sure. you know, the, 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 the new version of the 421A, which is called Affordable New York, mm -hmm. was a great program that there was hundreds of new apartment buildings built under this program, mm -hmm. okay? And it allowed for anywhere from 25 to 30% of the units to be affordable, yeah. right? Yep. And all of a sudden, developers are building all over the city. And why? Because they get a 35-year tax abatement. If you do not get a tax abatement, the, the, the real estate taxes here in the city will eat you alive, right? The, the taxes here on high. rental properties are about a third of the income. So unless if you have a way to abate that, right, it's very difficult to make the numbers work and build it. And 35 years is a good term. Yeah. That's, that's longer than the previous that's term. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's so, right. And it was a good thing. It created Great. tons of apartments. And now... They're going to revise it. So this current program sunsets June of next year. Gotcha. So guess what? Developers are already saying, hey, I'm pencils down. I'm not building anything unless if I know for certain I can get in the ground because I don't know what this new program is going to accomplish. Right. And what I am hearing so far is that the affordability requirements are going to be um, – uh, increase greatly, yeah. where you're going to have to deliver deeply affordable housing, right? Um, and there's even discussion, you know, is the construction going to have to be prevailing wage? Is it going to have to be union? Oof, so if yeah. you make the cost of the project that much greater and you're requiring developers to offer housing at, you know, much lower levels, the numbers aren't going to work. No Absolutely one's going to build. Not. So um, it, it as a result, developers won't build. There won't be new units. There won't be options for people to move to. And um, again, it's it's um, if we can kind of get away from you know these sound bites on you know you know we need more deeply affordable housing. Yes, okay, but let's be take a rational approach on how this is going to work because you need that public-private partnership. You know, if it doesn't make sense for developers to do that, they're not going to build it.
right? Right. So again, we I could go on yeah, and on, it, but but it, it but it is a major a, consideration for getting things done here. Say the numbers work hypothetically, and New Yorkers were always it's such a contentious issue. But where would we even build? Where would people live? Where? What kind of developments are you envisioning? So, if, yeah, so if the, had the numbers work for construction? Yeah, so th this is another, um, you know, hot topic. Yeah, you know, hot, very contested because uh, a lot of the um, housing right uh, advocacy groups would say, "Look, we need affordable housing across the board throughout the city in every single neighborhood." I mean, the reality. Where's the land for that? Well, it's not just where's the land, but I mean, let's take Greenwich Village for example. 80, almost 90% of it is in a historic district. You can build affordable housing there if you wanted to, no way, yeah. right? So we need west, density, right? right? And you need near transportation hubs, sure. okay? So we're talking, you know, what's going on in Jamaica, Queens, right? Major subway hub and yep. artery. Mm -hmm. Land is cheap there. Yep. I think we should build as much affordable housing as, as we can. But is there land there? You know, I guess it's the, oh, okay. sure there is. Yeah, there is. Okay. Sure there is. All right, yes. But again... No one is going to build it unless if they know the what work. is yeah what is the program. The yep. Okay, uh, let's switch gears real quick. Finally, you know, this is more on the operational side of things. You know, we run. I you know I run a team. Almost every broker here they run a team. It's kind of what Robert Refkin when he founded Compass he envisioned that the future of real estate is basically teams. And you have a team yourself with uh, a dozen people. About or twenty? Uh, almost thirty. Oh, thirty. Okay, so you have a team of thirty. You know what goes behind the the operation of your team as far as a hiring, b you know spreading out responsibility, mm -hmm. and c making sure that you know everybody on the team is maximized and they're successful. Great question, and and it's something that I'm very passionate about because as much as I love doing deals, um, building a team because this is I mean. Look, I'm sure there's many people listening right now who do everything on their own, and there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. So, and you know, if you're like me, you're not good at every aspect of the job, and there's a lot of aspects Can't. of the yeah. job. There is the underwriting. So, you know, are you good with numbers? Mm -hmm. Are you good at the, you know, the client management? Are you good with negotiating transactions? Um, there, there, there's so many different pieces to it, and so. Um, you know, what I learned very early on is that you, you want to bring in um, people who are um, unified, who want to, you know, become uh, part of something where they realize they can leverage this, this, this platform too. The, the key though is to, it's all about, you know, the people. And if you're a Jim Collins fan of good to great, yep. getting the right people on the right seats of the bus. Uh, Gino Wickman also wrote a book that's awesome called Traction, uh, dealing with people who are, uh, GW gets it, wants it, you know, can, okay. can go out and do it. Um, it, it's, it's so important to have the right people. And so, uh, I've got a great leadership team, which allows me to go out and do fun stuff like this. Yep. So, uh, I've got a director of operations who oversees our analyst team, our marketing team, have a sales manager who is working with the salespeople. Um, but above all, I think the, the, the key to success for a team is just having an open, you know, transparent uh, uh, environment, right? So we meet every morning as a team in person. And for a while, obviously, while we were remote, we were doing the Zoom thing, mm -hmm. which was nowhere near as effective. 
um, because we want everyone access to every piece of information that's out there. Yeah. And, you know, pretty much my entire career, I'm finally in an office, but I was, <laughs> I was in a cube and I, I actually, for a while, I, I said, I want to be back on the floor. Yeah. Right. Uh, because we learn so much by listening. I mean, that's how I learned in the business. Yeah, yeah. So you want people to overhear those conversations. You want people to hear what's going on. You want to hear what's going on. Um, we also have uh, a database where we all share the same information. So I know if someone on the team spoke to one of our clients, I know what they said and what they presented to them. So it's having that open architecture. And then the last piece of it um, is I think the compensation has to also be aligned. You can't have culture if the compensation does not match, right? Because if you have little mini brokerage teams that are each, you know, looking to go out and get their own commissions, it's human nature. You're going to focus on the deals where you're being compensated. Yeah. So this has taken us a couple iterations, and I've been, you know, we've really worked hard to kind of um, tweak this over the years, but uh, we have a commission pool that everyone shares in on every transaction. So oh, one person wins, everybody wins, right? Oh. Now, to a certain extent, yeah. you still have to reward the person who brings in the business. Yep. That's always for us the most valuable piece, the origination piece, right? Yeah. That's the toughest part. Go yeah. out and getting that mm -hmm. exclusive listing, 100%. right? Then that's the biggest bucket of compensation. Yeah. Then we have an execution uh, pool where the people who actually worked on the transaction mm -hmm. and then the pool points is everybody else. And why would you pay someone who was not on that transaction? In my eyes, it's because, you know, hey, maybe that person was doing the right thing and they met that investor and they put them on Salesforce. And even though they weren't the one that ultimately called that person and brought them to the deal, you know, that person bought the property because right. they made that connection. And, and you know, you could never tr retrace all your steps. So uh, it's, it's worked out really well. Uh, but, but I think that's a big piece to what we do. And I can't think of any other commercial brokerage firms that are set up the way we are. And I, and I really think it's the key to our success is that we have this unified sales team. Right. And so you're, you're basically trying to ensure that your brokers aren't fighting each other for business or for a bigger piece of the pie. Everybody, it's very true. That's right. And everybody knows. Yeah. What no, every, we're going to see everyone succeed. Yeah, right. It's so, like, hey, what can I do to help you out? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's super fascinating. Interesting. You know, I, I don't know if other residential teams do it like that. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard it like that. So mm -hmm. it really makes sense that, you know, there's transparency and there's nothing Nobody feels left out at the end of the day as far as uh, commissions are concerned. And your commissions, unlike residential commissions, there's an extra digit or two behind those numbers. So the stakes are quite large. They're very, very large. So I, I'm sure people are very interested in what their cut is even before. There's, the, a, the again, talk, it's complete transparency. Yeah. So everyone on our team knows what everyone else makes. That might, that might seem a little <laughs> uncomfortable, but... You know, it's there, and that way, like, there's never any conversations of, oh, hey, what's your split on this or that? Yeah, like, yeah. everyone just knows, hey, this is the deal. This is yeah, right? fascinating. That's because great. I also don't want to have, you know, friction or, you know, I just resentment. Focus on, yeah. yeah, after the fact, That's oh, right. why do you get this? It's not fair. What about the next one? Yeah, That's right. I get it. Yeah, you don't want those emotions of, of feeling up your team overall. Uh, last question. What qualities do you look for in a candidate when you're hiring somebody on salary? like staff, like you're maybe mm -hmm. like an operations person versus a, uh, like a broker, a commercial broker? Great, great question. Uh, I think, so passion to start with is, is huge. For because, both? 
Yeah, I, I really think, no, you have to like what you're doing. Yeah. If you do not enjoy your work, you're not going to be successful, no right? Chance. You're not going to be happy about it. So, look, I mean, p- different people are, are, are wired differently. Different. So so we, we enjoy the thrill of the hunt and calling and trying to get that business. That Getting terrifies <laughs> a lot of people. Some people would say, hey, just let me keep my headphones on, and I want to just sit here and crank out numbers, and yeah. I'm in my happy place. So that's cool. It's like... Yeah. Find your role, right, and what makes you happy, and I think that's that's key. Uh, but yeah, having that tenacity, those leadership, and that kind of goes back to your question earlier about you know why why did Paul like athletes? You know yeah, you that go. tenacity, not giving up, no right? Uh-huh. The hard work. I mean, no substitute for that. So so if if I was say a twenty one year old young buck with no experience, but I was a, a Colgate lacrosse player, right, right. It, I, I'd love to bring you onto the team, but we're we're we we uh, and, and someone gave experience. Someone gave gave yeah gave uh, me a shot. Clearly, out of school without experience, did, but I, you know the way we're set up um, because we are a smaller team, relatively speaking. Like we don't have like a training program per se. Right. Uh, generally, we do look for a couple of years' experience, but we actually do. We have onboarded some residential brokers before oh, yeah. who have joined our team. Okay. As long as they understand the business. And, and by the way, we just brought someone on who was a rental broker wow. for like 10 years. A residential rental broker. Residential rental broker. And he has brought value day one. Because we're out there showing these apartment buildings, and he knows, okay, this is how you need to reposition this apartment, and this is the unit layout, and this is the rent, and these are the concessions. You know, now he needs to learn the investment side of the sure. business, but so it, it's someone who who has a couple of years experience in the business, so at least is familiar with the real estate. Uh-huh. That's typically what we look for. But no, there's a lot of there's a lot of great places, um, you know, out there where hey, if, if you're willing to you know jump in right out of school, I mean, that's the great thing about this this business, right? So um, I mean, the, the sky really is the limit. Sky's the limit. James Nelson, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the Real Talk Podcast. The To the listeners, again, uh, follow James. Find him on Instagram at jamesnelsonnyc. And again, his website, jamesnelson.com. James, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. This is a lot of fun. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care.